Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. As many of you know, my day job is in the music industry, and through that industry, I have been able to connect with a ton of great people, uh, some of whom I have brought on this show as guests, and uh, this episode's guest is one of those wonderful people that I've met. Uh, Chad Dryden is the co-owner of The Record Exchange, which is a record store in Boise, Idaho, a place I have never been, uh, honestly, probably never will be, uh, but nevertheless, uh, he is the co- recent, I guess, co-owner, uh, took over uh, in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, we talk about what ownership of a record store even looks like and how that happened. Um, interestingly, I guess probably the, the interesting part about that is that he no longer lives in Boise, Idaho. Uh, he decided to move more or less halfway across the country in the middle of the pandemic to be closer to his family. And uh, we talk about how that sort of works, uh, the uh, owning this place or co-owning this place and living somewhere completely different. Uh, We talk about why he he decided to, uh, in collaboration with his wife and kid, move away from the place where he was working and uh, how he's adjusting to that life. Uh, We talk a lot about being in your mid-40s and taking care of yourself, body, mind and soul. Uh, Chad deals with anxiety, uh, like many of us, myself included, certainly do. And, uh, you know, we talk about the aging process and how that's different for us uh, in, I guess, Generation X. We're Generation X. I think I'm Generation X. How it works for people in Generation X and later versus our parents and grandparents. Uh, It is a wide-ranging conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, everyone, here is Chad Dryden. Thanks for having me, Mike. My name is Chad Dryden. I am the co-owner of the Record Exchange in Boise, Idaho, and I'm a native of Northeast Ohio, Akron, Cleveland area, and I actually live back here in Ohio in a weird sort of roundabout way with the pandemic sort of twisting everybody's lives in weird ways. My wife and kid and I decided to move to Ohio during the pandemic, and then a year later ended up becoming one of the co-owners of the record store that I've worked at since 2009. Right on. And how are you able to co-own a record store in Idaho and live in Ohio? (laughs) That's everybody's favorite question. (laughs) When the pandemic started, I was the marketing director for the store and I kept my job. It was sort of an experiment. We didn't have events going on. So when I announced to the previous owners, that we were making this move, I pitched three different ideas. I said, well, we could kind of keep things as is, 
and see if this works with me doing this remotely. We could have me still maintain most of the marketing duties and hire an event coordinator, or I can help you with a job search for my replacement. So everybody decided to keep me on and that worked out pretty well. Went to Boise a couple times in 2021. Part of that was covertly we had started the process of the sale of the store. And basically, with having two of my business partners are based in Boise, they're also longtime record exchange employees. One of them, Glenn, dates back to 1988. Wow. Yeah, he's a lifer. <laughs> Catherine, is same as me, been there since 2009, even when I was based in Boise. I could do about 85% of my job remotely if I needed to. And I did do a lot of that remotely. I, I worked a lot from home at night and then... For putting together the responsibilities and sort of dividing what we were doing as far as the ownership was concerned, I, I get to do a lot of the boring computer stuff. <laughs> so it's a lot of spreadsheets. I work hand in hand with our uh, our bookkeeper, we work on budgets, and I could keep talking about it, but the more I talk about it, the more boring it's going <laughs> to sound. But I am still doing the marketing and I, I love I love, love, love marketing, which is a weird, never thought somebody who was trained as a journalist would say that he loves marketing, but getting to do it for a record store and getting to be part of the music industry, it's really been fun. And it's really close to my heart for where my passion is, which of course is right music. Right on. How did the conversation even start? And I'm coming to this from kind of a place of ignorance. How does the conversation start about, hey, let's take over this business. Let's own this business. And I don't want you to divulge anything that would be unwise for you to divulge. But I mean, do you even ask if something's for sale? Well, in this case, the owners held a staff meeting in January of 2021. They got everybody together and Michael Bunnell founded the store in 1977. He ran it by himself for several years. And then I think it got bigger a lot quicker than he thought it would when he opened it. And then he moved downtown. And when he started the store, it was up on a part of uh, Boise called The Bench, which is sort of away from downtown. It was just in a tiny little nondescript storefront. He decided to move downtown, ended up moving next door to somebody who sold posters. They decided to bust out a wall and start it. And it kind of went from there. So they were ready to retire. And having had conversations over the past, say, I don't know, five or so, so years, he was pretty pretty candid and open about what his plans were. He, of course, wasn't going to run the store for it. And his intention was hopefully when the time came that an employee or a group of employees would be interested in purchasing it. So what then happened was there was a lot of side conversations and there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of discussions with people who may or may not had been interested. We do have a lot of longtime employees at the record exchange. So naturally, the thought was, well, some of the longtime employees would probably buy it. And that's eventually what did end up happening. There were the three of us, and then my wife, Erica, is also one of the investors as well. So it was a process that was very, very long, but also went very, very quickly. And it was really fascinating. Nice thing was it wasn't one of these deals where we signed the dotted line and then Michael and Jill handed us a key and said, good luck. We had months of extensive training with them on the front end of it. So we, we knew a lot about how the business ran, but of course we didn't know a lot about what they did as far as the business structure was, as it was concerned. So that was really the learning curve was sort of learning some of their methods for 
budgeting and, and inventory maintenance and staff employment stuff. There's uh, all the different things you can think of that come with running a business. We had zero experience with it. So fortunately, they were really good about staying on. And we had several months of, of wouldn't necessarily call it handholding, but definitely guidance would be, a, I guess, a good way of putting it. And that was extremely helpful. And having also longtime staff members be part of the ride too, that weren't in an ownership capacity, but didn't jump ship when the change happened. So our general manager has been there for 30 years. Our new head buyer replaced uh, the retiring head buyer who had just retired in August of 2021. So having these people in place made it really easy for the transition to happen. I'd say that had those people not been around, it might look different and we might not be owning the store right now. Sure. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit back to your move. And what's the distance between Boise and where where you live now? 2000 miles. (laughs) God damn. Okay. That is, that is a long drive. (laughs) Yeah. They've been doing doing a lot of living, racking up some frequent flyer miles. So yeah, this last year we established the rhythm, I guess, of sort of what, I'm going to do as far as when I'm in Boise. Our ownership group has weekly Zoom calls. We're on WhatsApp daily. Obviously, modern technology makes something like this happen. And certainly anytime people talk about remote work, I can talk great lengths about it. And I've always liked working from home, which is a a nice thing. Even when I was at the store, all of us found that if we could sneak away and work some from home, we would probably be more efficient with our time. One of the challenges of running a retail business is your office is tied to a store. And when you walk through that store, a customer or one of your fellow employees doesn't necessarily know what you're up to or what your plan is by walking out into the store. So there are plenty of times in the store when I would walk out there thinking, okay, this is a little like a two-minute trip and I'm back on my desk. And then a half hour (laughs) later, I'm sitting back on my desk saying... What the hell did yeah. I go out there to do? And then I forgot the task of what made me walk out that door in the first place. So in that sense, it is kind of nice that I do have the autonomy of being able to get my work done and focused on it. But one of the things I, I miss out on is obviously being there every day. I miss a lot of the conversations and just some of the, the nuance of being there and, and having these rolling conversations with people. And I do like being in the store and interacting with customers. But yeah, by all means, it, it is a totally a strange thing. And if you would have told me 25 years ago when I was in college and, and preparing for a career in journalism that I would be owning a record store 2000 miles away from where I live, <laughs> I, I probably would have questioned, did you step into a parallel universe? <laughs> or did all of us you know? Yeah. So. What precipitated the move? We wanted to be closer to family, mainly. We had actually been talking about this before the pandemic. It, it actually happened one holiday. Our kid was at home on break from school and we were just sitting there and started talking about, well, what about moving back east? My wife, Erica, she primarily grew up in New England. She was born in Colorado, but her family moved to Southern New Hampshire in her teenage years. And then she went to college in Rhode Island, worked in Massachusetts. And then we met, I was working for a newspaper in New Hampshire. And as much as we love the West and and we wanted to go out West because we wanted to do something different at that time. We were in our our late twenties. We'd just gotten married but we definitely started to feel the tug of family. We'd been in Boise by that time, about 14 years. Her mom and stepdad are in Florida. My parents are still here in Northeast Ohio. 
And we just really started to feel that our parents are aging. Most of them are, with the exception of her stepdad, are in their 70s now. And it just felt, it felt like it was time. And so we kind of outlined in early 2020, right before we even knew what the word coronavirus was, we'd started kind of plotting out this move. Like, all right, let's take 2020 and start purging and and getting this house ready to sale and do all the things with an eye on a 2021 spring move. Then the pandemic happened and we were stuck at home and we started, like a lot of people, getting rid of stuff and doing house projects. And so really when we started, we weren't even sure we were going to move that quickly. We just said to ourselves, what can we live the with what can we live without for the next year? And started boxing all of that stuff up, which was really kind of a liberating process. And then realizing how little you actually need to live <laughs> for a year is was that was a really eye-opening thing. So then it was a matter of like, well, do we get this in motion so that we can get here and start a, to start a new school year? Because we didn't want to pull Magnolia out mid-year, especially with a move like this, where she was basically gonna have to start mm-hmm. fresh, like completely fresh. Uh, no friends, new school, completely start from scratch as a 12 year old. And we had several conversations with her about it. Like, are you sure? You sure you want to do this? Because if she didn't want to do it, we weren't going to, but she was into it. And we're talking about things moving slowly, but going very quickly. The move was similar to the purchase of the store in that sense, because we then had a very, very short timeline in order to do this, but we made it happen. And then we actually just celebrated two years here, which is congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a little bit of a blur to say the least. And then, yeah, we also just had the first year anniversary of owning the store. So a lot of big things happening. So, uh, but all in all, we're happy with this move. We miss a lot about Boise. Again, kind of that day to day, we left behind a lot of friends, my brother's there. So we we really put down some roots there. But as far as a, a geography goes, we're kind of rootless people. We like to move around. And Erica has had something, she counted up something like 25, 28, 29 different wow. addresses in her Holy lifetime. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite that extreme. I've lived in three states and I think I've had like maybe a dozen addresses, but it's good to move around, I think. And certainly if you're getting complacent at all, and I know a lot of people my age, I just turned 45. This is the time of your life or even beforehand where you can get very complacent very easily. And I see a lot of People's relationships crumble as a result of that, or just have a personal crisis that they hadn't attended to with their mental health or or their physical health, and then just having all that stuff kind of come to a head. So I think in moving around and having careers that have sort of jumped around a little bit has kind of helped us keep nimble. Yeah, I get that. It's funny because you saying that brings me to two points, one of which is like personally, I'm feeling more antsy than ever. I think I'm a year mm. older than you, but I, I, the past couple of years I've just, and it's getting itchier almost like I, I'm just feeling the need to do something or a lot of things actually differently. And yeah. I wonder what is it about people in our age range that fosters the opposite of that, that fosters the complacency and the I guess this is what's happening. So I'm just going to stick with it. I'm not going to do anything <laughs> until they get forced and something happens. And it almost always happens. Something in the universe forces you to look that in the mirror and be like, oh, well, I have to make changes. But what do you think causes this complacency? I think a lot of it just might be negative inertia. 
I guess would be the way to describe it, especially seeing people that get into a career that maybe it's not fulfilling personally or spiritually, but financially it's getting them somewhere. And then especially when you throw kids into the mix and you have a partner, a lot of those things can make you feel stuck. I think people just get stuck really, or maybe some people just get hopeless. It's, it's a good question. And it's interesting to hear from somebody like you, you were just always busy. You're always doing something. You have a very active mind and you're always doing something that is fueled by your passions to then also hear like you're having this itch. And I'm with you. I feel it too. Like, I don't know if it's just hitting 45. I had a friend actually say, Hey, you got to the midpoint. <laughs> it's funny because I, I did start to think that as I approached 45, I was like, well, anything can happen. I can walk out the door today and I can get hit by a bus or something, or I could have a, a big health problem and, and that could be it. So many different ways that a, a life can suddenly end. So looking at where life expectancies are, it looks like 90 is pretty approachable for people our age. And I did start to think of that. Well, okay, what's the second half look like? And, um, not so much what haven't I done yet, but what can I do mm. better or what, what can I do that's continuing to fulfill me? And I think you would probably agree with this too, having spent your life in music. I think being around music in its own way is kind of a fountain of youth. Mm -hmm. Obviously, music is is driven by young people for the most part making it, but even that is sort of kind of changing a bit. And I see there's a lot of musicians still that are 20, 30, 40 years into a career, they're still making music. And it's not like a nostalgia tour kind of thing. They're making relevant music. And I think being around it has really helped me keep a, a youthful mindset to my life and not trying to pretend like I'm 22 again, but also just having this idea of being 45 isn't a death sentence and being 30 and, and being 50, it's it's really age ain't nothing but a number. I know it's such a cliche thing, but it's, it's totally really true, true. And it's really kind of how you yeah. approach it. Yeah. I mean, when I was young, I thought 45 and even at, at 30, 45 seemed like this place where they're taking you out back and kind of shooting you almost like a horse. <laughs> like it, it felt old. When I was young, it was my grandma's age. Oh, yeah. And now it's like, okay, I'm 46 and I still feel, I mean, my body doesn't always feel young, but oh. I, I feel <laughs> like there's plenty more to explore. I don't feel like an old person in that typical get off my lawn kind of way. I feel like yep. there's a lot more to explore and I want to be here for as long as they'll have me. Hopefully that is a long time. And hopefully I get to keep most of my faculties during that period of time. But I mean, 45 isn't, it's not what it was when we were kids. It's not what it was when our parents were kids. It's still a good time to be exploratory and question things. And you have the benefit of life experience but also, depending on where you are, can still have a very young, progressive, positive, upbeat mindset as well. Absolutely. It was interesting. I was talking to my father about a week ago, and he made mention of the fact that when he was 49, he retired from his first job. And that just that blew my mind. And he was retired for a whole, I think, two days before he started his next career. But I was still in college at the time, and I'm the youngest of three, so my dad's going to be 75 next year, and I have a brother who's in his mid-50s. But just to hear that, especially being in this new role of a co-owner of a business for one year at 45 and hearing, oh, wow, my dad was like, he'd done, he'd done 25 years of his first career around this time and was eyeing the end of that at this age. 
or even looking, I mean, I don't know if you ever looked at photos of when I was a kid, I'd look, look at photos of my grandparents and like, okay, this, my grandparents in their mid fifties. And then I look at my brother and like, yeah. wow, that is two different generations of people I'm looking at. My brother looks 20 years younger than they yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's really funny. The perception of what maturity at least in terms of age anyway, looked like when we were kids versus what it looks like now. Yeah. I, th I think we're taking care of ourselves. I think we are. I mean, I have a lot of tools to do that that our ancestors did not have. Exactly. I want to talk about your journalism career. I guess the question is, when did your interest in journalism begin? I can pinpoint it. It was in seventh grade. I was 13 years old at the time. And I grew up with newspapers in the house and we still subscribe to a newspaper. I, wow. I spend so much time on a computer. I know I'm kind of a Luddite <laughs> in that way. But I like having one in my hands It's and I still like supporting the industry. But at that time, I was bigger into sports than I was into music. And I had a language arts teacher who got me involved in a writing competition and I had some success with that. And I realized, oh, I really enjoy writing. And I this is something that subject-wise comes easy to me compared to, say, math. And I had somebody just kind of show me the way a little bit and say, hey, there are career paths in this. And so being in, interested in sports at the time, it was like, okay, I'm going to move to Chicago and be a sports writer. And I'm going to go to Northwestern. And then a year later, I discovered Nirvana. And I still was into sports, but music kind of took over as an adolescence. But I, I did go to college for journalism. And one year I spent on the sports staff at the school paper and then the next on the entertainment staff writing about music. And honestly, my journalism career is certainly not anything that was historic. <laughs> by any means. I graduated in 2000. And to give you an idea of how little old school journalism schools thought about online, we had one elective that was online journalism. And across the board, all of our professors thought that the internet was a joke. They're like, who is going to read the news on the internet instead of a trusty newspaper? And it was just such a, in retrospect, a stodgy way of Little looking did at they it. Know. And uh, not very forward thinking in their no. respect either. But there were still jobs at the time. And I got a job in a tiny mountain town in northern New Hampshire for my first newspaper job. And that was what moved me to Idaho, too. So I was still in journalism when I moved there. So I did everything from working on a sports desk to writing about arts and entertainment in the outdoors when I was in Idaho. And meanwhile, did some freelancing, writing music reviews, concert reviews, that sort of thing. Never really cracked any big publications of note, but I was able to make a little bit of extra money and get some clips with my name on them that came in handy and stay close to my passion while I also had to go cover city council meetings and school board meetings in mm. small towns. So being able to still feed my passion was good. And then the Great Recession hit and I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I was like the third round of layoffs at the paper. They were just going by tenure. Everybody was getting shifted around. I went from being a pop culture writer to back on a news desk covering the city, which was what we had moved out to Boise for me to get away from, was to have a job that was more in line with my interests. And then I was right back where I started and got laid off spring of 09. And it was actually really the best thing that's happened to me in my career was to get laid off and was able to pivot and get some freelance marketing and PR work in town. And then a friend saw an ad for the 20-hour-a-week online marketing job with the Record Exchange. 
that ended up rolling into the the marketing director position when the marketing director left that following spring and here we you are. are. And yeah. You're still able to utilize that writing, not only on a professional level, but you've got the Suburban Abyss, which is your newsletter mm-hmm. and podcast. And A, I guess, does that scratch the writing itch for you? And B, what made you decide to kind of go back into more personal writing? Yeah, absolutely. If I've had anything like a midlife crisis in the past few years, it was that I didn't feel like creatively I was at maybe where I thought I would be at this time in my life. As much as I can be detached from in an existential sense and say, at some point I'm going to pass on and that'll be it. But wouldn't it be nice to have something to leave behind that maybe somebody could hold in their hand? It's a total ego-driven thing that is comes with being a creative person is having some sort of validation of what you do. But as much as marketing, writing is fun and writing social media posts are fun and putting together newsletters for a record store is a total gas. I love to get to flex my creativity with the store, but I was getting farther and farther away from writing and I hadn't been doing much personal writing and really had kind of stopped freelancing once I had started working for the store. So with this move, I felt if there was any time to kind of document what was going on in this strange new world that everybody was in. One, moving during a pandemic, which we had so many people just scratch their heads. Hey, like, You're doing this now, <laughs> a, a global health crisis. And also I had my hours reduced a little bit with the position. So I had some free time and I just made a commitment to myself to use that extra time that I had during the week to do some concentrated writing. And I'd never done a podcast before. So I did some research and, and, self-taught a lot of that and had a friend help me build a website. And really, I wanted to not only document the move from a personal perspective, but also just kind of a, what did this look like for an average American to do a move like this at, at this time? But I also too wanted to sort of combine that with exploring a, a different kind of music writing that was more personal essay that I didn't want it to be like, hey, here's another top 10 listen, I didn't want to do reviews. And I just really wanted to kind of explore this relationship that I've had with music and how that is tied to so many things in my life, especially being back somewhere where I grew up or living here for the first time in you know, 25 years or something like that. I'm finding myself kind of looking back and putting these puzzle pieces together of how this music has influenced me or just personal stories from my past about music and connected them to what's going on now. And it's been really fulfilling to be able to do this kind of writing. I don't know how much longer I'm going to do it. I had a lofty goal of once a week, and then we decided to buy a record store and now I'm running it like once a month. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it is. I mean, you have multiple podcasts. So I'm preaching to the choir here when I'm talking about trying to fit this in along with having a full-time job yeah. too. But I also think just from what I set out to do with it creatively, it may be kind of winding down and then I might move on to something else after that. Has there been a particular revelation that you've made during this process of moving and then writing about it and documenting it that has surprised you? Yeah, I think the one thing I've noticed is that I'm writing a lot more about aging than I, I thought I was. And I guess subconsciously, it must have been something that was on my mind. And 
it's not so much about feeling old is just sort of this observation of the accumulation of time. I mean, time is really fascinating. My wife will say there's an adage about parenting that the days are long, but the years are short. Mm. And mm-hmm. that's it really, the first 10 years of being a parent blew by for both of us. We don't know where those 10 years went. It was just like snap a finger and they were gone. And everybody that we've talk to that has children, especially children that are older than ours. It just keeps going faster. And here we are, we have a high school freshman this year. So it is totally flying by. So looking at it from that perspective too, but just also hearing music from a 45 year old perspective, especially a lot of music that I've been listening to since I was a teenager. For instance, last night, we just went and saw Nine Inch Nails. And the reason we went was uh, Eric and I had both seen the Downward Spiral Tour as high school kids, not knowing each other, living one of us in New Hampshire and one of us in Ohio. And we saw that same tour. So then Trent Reznor, who got his start in Cleveland, did a hometown show to put a cap on this North American run that he was doing this year. And so he went to that. And so I am going to be writing a little bit about that with uh, my next episode. But it's fascinating to see this thread of aging kind of creep into there. And like you said, there are days physically where I do feel old, but... (laughs) <laughs> and you're in good shape. Yeah. Oh, thanks. And likewise, I'm glad that you went on a, a, a personal journey with it too. It's been really encouraging for me to see a lot of men our age in the past few years sort of reset and recalibrate and look at this as like, wow, I could just keep packing on these bad habits and get myself to a very bad spot or I can autocorrect. And I've seen a lot of men in their 40s and 50s doing that on my Facebook feed. And whether it's they're getting into CrossFit or they're rediscovering running or whatever the case may be, it's inspiring to kind of have this loose network that I don't really talk about fitness that much with people. It's part of my life and whatnot, but it is inspiring to see others my age doing the same thing. Absolutely. Now let's go a little bit deeper into that, talking about health, physical and mental health for that matter. What practices have you discovered that keep you active in in either realm or both realms, physically and mentally, um, particularly as you get older? Yeah. I discovered running or discovered a love of running in my early 20s. And I hated running as a kid. When you go to conditioning for baseball or or whatever, I was like, you had the physical ability, but not the mental at that age. And then it kind of flips as you get older and then your body starts to fail you. But mentally you can handle that. And it came at a good time in my life because I, in my early twenties, I had to kind of figure this out for myself, but I, I had an anxiety disorder and growing up, we had a very traditional family physician. I don't remember ever being asked about my mental health, going to the doctor through high school or college, never had anybody ever ask me, how's your stress level? How, how are you doing with managing work and your relationships? Like None of this was ever discussed. It was always sort of like going to the auto garage with your right. body. Yeah. And, I mean, you get the stethoscope you know, and you get the whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh, your heart's good. Your hearing's good. You, you got no gunk inside you. You're a perfect specimen. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, no one and goes in here. So, yeah, exactly. And I, I had started my first job. I was in New Hampshire. I was living by myself. I moved somewhere where I knew nobody. I was spending a lot of time by myself. Winters were long. I was working like 55, 60 hour weeks. 
And I was feeling these weird sensations in my body that were a lot of the classic kind of anxiety symptoms, heart racing, or just the fog or feeling almost like out of body experience, just physical vacancy, all kinds of weird physical sensations that didn't seem to make much sense to <laughs> to me. And then kind of backtracking and realizing like, oh, I remember like this kind of starting in around 14 and you know, every now and then having some of these sensations in high school, but then in college, I remember now what I recognize is my first panic attack in college and, and then starting to have these panic attacks on a regular basis while I'm out covering stories mm. for the paper. And luckily I just got on the internet and I typed in anxiety disorder and on, I think probably WebMD or something like that. And I'm just like going down the bullet list. Yep. 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 And so I, I went to the doctor. I said, listen, I think I have an anxiety disorder. And I went through my list of my symptoms and they got checked out and they're like, yep, it sounds like you do. So I started on some medication and some therapy. And this was kind of the first real big renovation project I did on myself. As far as my health goes, I ended up going vegetarian. I started working out more, just became more conscious of what I was putting in my body relative to anxiety. And, and unfortunately I would say that it's a low grade anxiety disorder. I've been fortunate in that I haven't been medicated in the past 20 years because I have been able to regulate it through diet and exercise and then finding a yoga practice about 10 years ago was another key aspect okay. of it. And that sort of reintroduced a, a spiritual sense to my life as well. I grew up a Methodist. I don't identify anymore as such, but I, I do feel ironically more of a, a stronger uh, spiritual sense in my life now without identifying That's as crazy, Christian. Huh? But <laughs> yeah, and I'm very grateful for that experience, having grown up with that backdrop of knowledge of religion and, and going through it and seeing what it was for people and for myself and what it wasn't. And then here we go with another cliche, it really is a marathon, not a sprint. And when I'm working out or I'm doing something for my wellness, I'm not necessarily looking at it as a goal-driven exercise. The goal is just having a strong body and mind. It's not like I am training for this event or I'm training for that event. And I, I know a lot of people that do that and it's great motivation. And I did do a 5k last year. It was a lot of fun, but uh, thank you. But yeah. It's, it's more just about the feeling of running or practicing yoga than it is about really some like, okay, I'm going to stop when I get to this point. There is no stopping really is if I, I'm hoping to still be active when I'm in my 60s and 70s. And unlike you, I don't play basketball <laughs> anymore because there's a little bit of fear involved there because one, my wife had, had we were playing co-ed indoor soccer at one point in Boise. And then she ended up on a women's team because she was a goalie three games into it outdoor. Her foot goes into a divot and she gets a high ankle sprain. And then one of my good friends broke a kneecap playing oh. basketball. So I'm kind of like staring at a deductible that I don't <laughs> want to pay. So I, as much as Pick up basketball is fun. I think I'll just stick I, to running. I thankfully have been in, major injury free so far. And we've been playing, I think, for like four yeah. years at this point. I hope to stay major injury free. I can't say that everyone that I've played with has had the same level of luck. <laughs> but I definitely want to preserve the body as much as I can. And also like an ER visit or surgery. I was actually just, I spent time yesterday with a friend of mine who just had like 
plates inserted into his foot and is pretty <laughs> immobile at this point. You can't use one of those scooters in New York on a New York City sidewalk. It's just not going to work out well for you. And I'm just like, oh, I have thankfully gotten through 46 years without having any sort of major physical surgery. I want to make it through the rest of my life with that as well. So I get being cautious, but it's really cool that you're able to that A, I, I got to actually go back a little and give props to WebMD <laughs> because <laughs> I had a similar experience when finding out that I was diabetic was WebMD was a, a huge help in kind of putting the symptoms together, typing them into a search engine and WebMD being mm -hmm. like, dude, you have diabetes. And I know a lot of people are skeptical about things like WebMD, because I feel like you put in any two symptoms and the result is you're going to die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, nine times out of 10, it's not that serious, but it was very helpful to me. And it sounds like for you too, but also getting a handle on things like anxiety at a young age. And this was 15, 20 years ago for you when mental health, particularly for men was not as normalized as it is now, assuming it's normalized to any major extent, which it isn't. So uh, when you were kind of going through that process of discovering that you dealt with an anxiety disorder and then going to a doctor, did you feel any shame? Did you feel any hesitation? Like what was your thought process? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent total shame and almost embarrassment. And talking about what you just mentioned about how men typically don't talk about these things. I'm a person who typically internalizes when I'm anxious. I mean, I'm like anybody else with stress. I can, I can project outward sometimes. Yeah. But the thing that I remember the most about starting to tell people was people didn't believe me. <laughs> They're like, no, you don't have an anxiety disorder. You're fine. Like, and I having heard and read tons of people have had similar experiences because if you internalize it and you don't make it the focal point of your life or your conversation or having something that you've sort of not realized for yourself or just batted down inside of you, which is a very classic male thing to do. If you look through the generations, I can't even begin to imagine how many people who ended up turning to alcohol or drug abuse were really hiding mental health so issues most. and not getting the help. And so turning to the bottle or, or something worse. So just to have people not really understand that it will outwardly, you seem like you're fine, but you're telling me you're not. And so fortunately that has gotten better over time and having had more people in their lives running it to it for themselves or with a partner or a family member or something. And just, yeah, this general sense of, is this okay to talk about this kind of stuff? And that is certainly helpful too, is being able to say, Hey, listen, like, yeah, I had a panic attack last night at like three o'clock in the morning. No, I wasn't going to wake you up to tell you right. about it because yeah. it's just going to like make you lose more sleep. And I, I have the tools to get through them. And I remember going to therapy for the first time and feeling like, oh man, I'm a broken person because I'm going to therapy and not realizing that it was just a stigma that I'm just perpetuating like millions and billions of other people that will sneeze and we'll go to the doctor. But if there's something wrong in our mind, it's almost like we have to like sort of put our head down in shame and shuffle into the office and say, I need to talk to you. Um, I've been to therapy one other time in my thirties too. 
And it was a really helpful thing. And I've actually thought about reintroducing that into my life. I haven't done that in a while. And the times that I was in therapy did find it to be very beneficial. And so, yeah, I think just having that awareness and, and also in the aging process and having these check-ins with myself and hitting 45 was a big one. Like, where am I mentally? Where am I physically? And how can I best prepare myself for the next 45 years? So a lot of that is on my mind and, and just making sure to, to stay on top of it is a key thing too, instead of kind of letting it slide and, and saying to yourself, oh, I'm okay right. now. It's maintaining your physical shape. It's your mental shape. It's a work in progress. And it's just something you have to keep working uh, at. Yeah. It's yeah. not a straight line up or a straight line down. Going back to what you said about not people kind of second guessing or questioning you having an anxiety disorder. I like, there's two thoughts that I had as a result of that. One is I feel like the first impulse, whenever someone tells other people something about themselves that is personal or like revelatory, the response, the human response is to be like, no, of course not. When someone says that they have a mental health issue or someone comes out, it's like, oh, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Like, And I think that's just like a, a knee jerk, not thinking human response. But totally. the other part of that, that I find really interesting is that I think there are a lot of people out there who still think that anxiety and depression look like you are curled up in a corner of your house, like filthy with your head in your hands, shaking and don't right. realize that so many people, possibly including themselves, get through every day with depression and anxiety. It's not something that is necessarily debilitating. It's something mm -hmm. that people deal with day in, day out on a regular basis. Absolutely. And it, it makes you wonder how many people aren't taking care of it for themselves or, or recognizing what it is and mistaking it for something else. So yeah, getting back to that WebMD thing, I'm, I was happy to have that tool at my disposal because it was just these nagging things inside of me. They weren't going away and clearly there weren't any physical explanations for them. So that was when I turned in that direction. I'm very grateful that I figured out what was going on at that age that I was able to put myself on a better trajectory for sure. Are those practices is the yoga and the running? I mean, you thinking about all we've talked about so far, like you're running a business and it's only been a year since you've been co-running a business. You have a teenager, you just moved across the, well, halfway across the country. Yeah. Are the practices that you're using to kind of keep yourself together, are you still doing those things regularly and are those things being helpful to you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm still very regularly doing all of those things. I'll say that my yoga practice has slipped a bit. I stopped going to studios during the pandemic, like a lot of people, and I was doing a subscription-based thing. And it's not the same. I just like being in a yoga studio and, and I'd find myself not pushing myself as much. And when you're doing it in your living room compared to a studio, the environment definitely plays a huge role in it for me. And I couldn't take myself out of being in my living room, I think, with it. But one thing I started doing in addition to running, because on this thread we got going about our bodies and getting older and creakier, running does make me very sore the next day. And so what I started, I incorporated swimming uh, into my routine. We joined a local gym. So I started swimming as a way to still get some cardio while also giving my joints a little bit of a break. Kind of your knee. And I found that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So I found that to be a really nice thing to be in the water a couple times a week and to just move in that 
way instead of running. And don't get me wrong, I love running. If I could run every day for ten miles, really? I would. But I people, yeah, I don't run. Well, I, yeah, <clears throat> I ran for a long time, and I never liked it. What <laughs> I, I liked the physical results, and I liked the mental clarity that I may have felt after. But the actual process of running, I don't enjoy. So I'm curious what it is about running that you like so much. Well, for sure, tying that back to my mental health, I found that, man, that clears out cobwebs like nothing else. A couple of beers won't do it for me as much as I like swimming and yoga and listening to a record. For whatever reason, running is just like some sort of magic pill for me. And Again, it was something I didn't really discover until I was in my 20s. And the one thing I like is I, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, for one thing. I have an Ami so that I can listen to music. I have to listen to music while I run. Our head buyer, he's an even more avid runner than I am, and he's the same age. He runs in silence. And I was like, how do you yeah. do that? He's like, well, I listen to music all day. I like to hear the sound of what's going on around me. And I don't wear headphones, but I need some sort of like a rhythmic pace car I guess, to keep me going. And that time is my time. So I, when I'm running, it's not like being on an exercise bike where you can be reading a book or I guess when you're on a treadmill, you can watch TV or whatnot, but I run outside most of the time. So really the only activity that you can do when you're running outside is running outside. I guess like, listening that's to music the only other be, thing you can you know, do. Um, yeah. So having that specific block of time for myself where I'm not scheduled to do anything else. I'm not in a meeting. I'm not in my house staring at a chore or a to-do list for work. It's a liberating thing. The natural high with it is amazing. And I feel mentally alert when I'm done. Physically, I feel good. The next day is a different story. <laughs> but, well, that's why I found swimming and other, other cardio has been really helpful to balance yeah. that out. And I also found I, I'm doing a lot more walking too in our neighborhood. We have big blocks in our neighborhood. So one time around the block is a mile and a half. So even if I'm doing something else, I, I started doing this thing where even if I do nothing, I'm at least going to go on this walk. But even if I am going swimming or running, I'm also going to do the walk too. I'm trying to get up to 200 walks by the oh, end wow. of the year. And I think I'm going to do it because, well, last year, of course, is the biggest stress load for owning a, or or working for a retail business is the holidays. So as a way to kind of put a sort of checks and balances on myself, I told myself, okay, starting November 1st, no matter the weather, no matter what you got going on with your life, you're going to go for a walk around the block. And I stuck to that. And I walked every day up through Christmas Eve. There were some days I walked in pouring rain. Some days I didn't get that walk done until like 11 o'clock at night. But I did that walk every day for for whatever the, the 58 days it was. And that really helped because it's really easy, especially for anybody during the holidays to overindulge in anything, but just to get yourself off track and thinking a lot about your mental health and, and knowing where that can slide. Putting a, a challenge like that in front of myself has been good. I'm planning on doing it again this year too. That's awesome. I uh, Keep me posted about that. I, I, I want to see how that ends up working out for you. <laughs> I have to admit, I feel a little bit like an imposter uh, when Chad compliments me on my uh, taking care of my body because uh, I've been slacking on my working out for a few months now. And uh, <clears throat> not to say that I put on any weight or anything, but a combination of depression and uh, just body aching uh, has led me to not be as active as I would like to be. So I'm working on that. 
and uh, thank you, Chad, for giving me inspiration. I wish I was near a gym. Actually, I'm probably near a gym with a pool. I wish I could afford a gym with a pool because gyms with pools in New York City cost like a month's rent. I'm exaggerating only slightly. Anyway, thank you, Chad, for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Uh, appreciate that you uh, are on the show. If you are in Boise, Idaho, make sure you check out the Record Exchange. I do love me some independent record stores, and uh, I am sure it's a fine, fine place. Uh, you can follow Chad on Instagram uh, one of two ways, uh, either at Chad Dryden, uh, C-H-A-D-D-R-Y-D-E-N, or at The Suburban Abyss, which is the name of his newsletter, which I guess is on hiatus at the moment. Not sure if it's coming back or not. Uh, I guess Chad's not really sure if it's coming back or not. But he is a fantastic writer, and I enjoyed reading it and listening to it uh, while it was available. Uh, again, thank you, Chad, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace